and D. I'm your co-host Adrian. I'm Thomas. And I'm Zach. And it's been a while since it's we said hello. Been a while. We had some drama and some untruities with licensing. Dude. Yeah, we we don't really know legally if we were going to be impacted by that weird OGL situation. But D and D or Wizards of the Coast or really let's say Hasbro. Hasbro. Yeah, they weren't being a Hasbro. Hasbraint. Is that is that how the kids say it these days? Can I don't say, know. Can we say has bitch? Has bitch. <laughs> no, they want that's what they want to make of you. That they did. Trust me, I've spent too much money on this to go back now. So we are continuing our saga with like a six week gap mm. uh, on Metallic Dragon. Hey, if they're just if they just downloaded it last week, they won't know a difference. Yeah, or next week or this week. Whenever Unless you, start you read the published date on the website. Nobody does that. Out. It's not like we're a current event podcast. True. What what news do I have? None worth listening to, I don't think. Nothing. I got it's, you, nothing. it's your birthday. We're going to party like it's your birthday. It is. Will we release this on my birthday? No, because no, I don't have to edit not. it today. You have to edit Hell it immediately. No. That's not happening. No. It's 8 p.m. No. <laughs> Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. last time we started with a general coverage of dragons, and we talked about chromatic dragons. This time we're going to talk about metallic instead. Mm, or in addition ones. to. Whatever. So, metallic dragons are like the opposite of the chromatic dragons. They seek to preserve and protect, viewing themselves as one powerful race among the many races that have a place in the world. That's benevolent. Yeah. These are the good dragons, or something like that. They have a noble curiosity. Metallic dragons covet treasure, as they as do their evil chromatic kin, but they aren't driven as much by greed in their pursuit of wealth. Rather, metallic dragons are driven to investigate and collect, taking unclaimed relics and storing them in their lairs. The metallic dragon's hoard is filled with items that reflect its persona, tell its history, and preserve its memories. Metallic dragons also seek to protect other creatures from dangerous magic. As such, powerful items and even evil artifacts are sometimes secreted away in a metallic dragon's hoard. And a metallic dragon can be persuaded to part with an item in its hoard for the greater good. However, another creature's need for or right to the item is often unclear from the dragon's point of view. A metallic dragon must be bribed or otherwise convinced to part with the item. So, they so, still got a bunch of shit. So they'll, like, level with you, but you gotta have a real... They're, like... They're and the, be convincing. They're the they're the kind-hearted billionaires. <laughs> it's for the greater kind good. Mm-hmm, kind of. They're still dragons. Yeah. <laughs> they still like their shit. They are solitary shapeshifters. At some point in their long lives, metallic dragons gain the ability to assume the forms of humanoids and beasts. When a dragon learns how to disguise itself, it might immerse itself in other cultures for a time. Some dragons are too shy or paranoid to stray far from their lairs and their treasure hoards, but bolder dragons love to wander city streets in humanoid form, taking in the local culture and cuisine and amusing themselves by observing how the smaller races live. Some metallic dragons prefer to stay stay as far away from civilization as possible so as to not attract enemies. However, this means they are often far out of touch with current events. 
So they're either like the traveling dragon or the hermit dragon. Yeah. So it's interesting. I guess the the chromatics maybe 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 not can shape shift, but like they have no interest in being anything other than a dragon. Yeah, so they used to be able to, like, in, I think, three and a half feet, all dragons could shapeshift. Um, so that wasn't completely out of the question, but I think they removed that for 5e. Don't quote me on that, but I do remember all dragons being able to do it in the past. Yeah. Zach says they can't do it in 5e. Okay. I'm quoting him. Don't do it. I'm innocent. I'm pretty sure it didn't say that in the book, and this is the official book, so we're going to go with it. So we're quoting Zach in the official book. I'm quoting the book. (laughs) The official book that says the things and the rules. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. The persistence of memory. Hush. Metallic dragons have long (laughs) memories, and they form opinions of humanoids based on previous contact with related humanoids. Good dragons can recognize humanoid bloodlines by smelling... By smell, sniffing out each person they meet and remembering any relatives they have come into contact with over the years. So they smell your genes. I was gonna say, they can, they're like, they would make bank doing genealogy. Genealogy. I think that's like a gin joke, but I'll just, I don't have it. I don't, I don't have the wit for that right now. Gin, D-J-I-N. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. It wasn't meant to be. Yeah. So, because of this, a gold dragon might never suspect duplicity from a cunning villain, assuming that the villain is of the same mind and heart as a good and virtuous grandmother. On the other hand, the dragon might resent a noble paladin whose ancestor stole a silver statue from the dragon's hoard three centuries before. So. Ooh. The dragon has receipts. Receipts, yeah. Well... Wild. A long smell memory. You know? Because, like, smell is, like, what, the most associated thing with memory or whatever? It is, but it's also mm-hmm. not genetic. Well, like, no. It's, like, cultural and stuff. I think. I don't know. I don't know how smell works. Um. King of Good Dragons. The chief deity of the metallic dragons is bah- Bahamut, the platinum dragon. He dwells in the seven heavens of Mount Celestia, but often wanders the material plane in the magical guise of a venerable human male in peasant robes. In this form, he is usually accompanied by seven golden canaries, but which are actually seven ancient gold dragons in polymorphed form. Hmm. Bahamut seldom interferes in the affairs of mortal creatures, though he makes exceptions to help thwart the machinations of Tiamat, the dragon queen, and her evil brood. Gudalain clerics and paladins sometimes worship Bahamut for his dedication to justice and protections. As a lesser god, he has the power to grant divine spells. So, that's fun. We've got the opposite of Tiamat now. I have... It seems weird that, like, I don't know. Like, dragons are supposed to be all proud and stuff, and then you get seven golden canaries, and those are actually dragons. That just seems funny to me, like, taking these great ancient dragons and making their little canaries. Tweet, tweet. That would be terrifying if you're like, oh, small birds, and you like, I don't like birds. I might hit a bird. Maybe not a canary, but... Uh-huh. Mm. Uh-huh. All right. So, that's all the general deets on metallic dragons. Now, Thomas is... Going to tell us about. You gonna let me do something? Yeah. 
I'm going to let you tell us about the silver dragon, your soulmate? I don't know. Socially. All right. The silver dragon. The friendliest and most social of the metallic dragons, silver dragons cheerfully assist good creatures in need. A silver dragon shimmers as if sculpted from pure metal, its face given a noble cast by its high eyes and sweeping beard-like chin spikes. A spiny frill rises high over its head, tracing down its neck to the tip of its tail. A silver silver warmling scales are blue-gray with silver highlights. As the dragon approaches adulthood, its color gradually brightens until its individual scales are barely visible. As a silver dragon grows older, its pupils fade until its eyes resemble orbs of mercury. That's uh, terrifying. That is. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would not be mercury? happy approaching that other than knowing that hopefully it is at least metallic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think you would mistake him for not metallic. Mm-hmm. Alright, dragons of virtue. Silver dragons believe that living a moral life involves doing good deeds and ensuring that one's actions cause no undeserved harm to other sentient beings. They don't take it upon themselves to root out evil, as gold and bronze dragons do, but they will gladly oppose creatures that dare to commit evil acts or harm the innocent. They see themselves as friends of the small races. Silver dragons enjoy the company of other silver dragons. Their only true shrinch friendship outside their own kin arise in the company of humanoids, and many silver dragons spend as much time in humanoid form as they do in draconic form. A silver dragon adopts a benign humanoid persona, such as a kindly old sage or a young wanderer, and it often has mortal companions with whom it develops strong friendships. Silver dragons must step away from their humanoid lives on a regular basis, returning to their true forms to mate and rear offspring, or to tend to their hordes and personal affairs. Because many lose track of time while away, they sometimes return to find that their companions have grown old or died. Silver dragons often end up befriending several generations of humanoids within a single family as a result. I just got the best character idea ever. <laughs> uh-huh. Now I so want to play a, a dragon, dragon disguised as just, in... just like some dumbass kid or something. A little too OP. Just a, yeah. just a little too overpowered. Just, you just gotta start as level one. Yeah. I'll a be... wormling. Well, but it says they don't gain that. I'll figure it out. That a... there's, there's a way to make this work. <laughs> Uh, silver dragons befriend humanoids of all races, but shorter-lived races such as humans spark their curiosity in a way the longer-lived elves and dwarves don't. Humans have a drive and zest for life that silver dragons find fascinating. Spicy. Um, spicy, yeah. Mmm, just like a spark. That's why sparks are beautiful. Something like that. I don't know. Um, silver dragons love to possess relics of humanoid history. This includes the great... Page turn. Piles of coins they covet, minted by current and fallen humanoid empires, as well as art objects and fine jewelry crafted by numerous races. Other treasures that make up their hordes can include intact ships, the remains of kings and queens, thrones, the crown jewels of ancient empires, inventions and contraptions, and monoliths carried from the ruins of fallen cities. 
Oh my god, the Silver Dragon is just the British History Museum. Just taking yeah, whatever the hell it wants. Yeah, it's just a fucking, fucking museum. Just stealing all the culture stuff and keeping it hidden I'm away from themselves. Rat, but yeah. A Silver Dragon's lair. Talk to us about their lair actions. Yeah, I'm getting layered up in here. Silver dragons dwell among the clouds, making their lairs on secluded cold mountain peaks. Though many are comfortable in natural cavern complexes or abandoned mines, silver dragons covet the lost outposts of humanoid civilization. An abandoned mountaintop citadel or a remote tower raised by a long-dead wizard is the sort of lair that every silver dragon dreams of. Uh, For lair actions, on initiative count 20, losing initiative ties, the dragon takes a lair action to cause one of the following effects. The dragon creates fog as if it had cast the fog cloud spell. The fog lasts until initiative count 20 on the next round. A blistering cold wind blows through the lair near the dragon. Each creature within 120 feet of the dragon must succeed on a DC 15 constitution saving throw or take 5 cold damage or 1d10 cold damage. Gases and vapors are dispersed by the wind and unprotected flames are extinguished. Protected flames, such as lanterns, have a 50% chance of being extinguished. Cool. So they make it foggy or they make it cold. Mm-hmm. And windy. Spooky. Ooh. Sorry, I've turned this page to notice the lovely dragon turtle on the next page. I think, they, I think that's already, already been covered. done. We did yes. it. It's yeah. too late. Yeah. Can't have uh-huh. it. But there wants him, and he Too wants bad. to snack on the great white shark swimming by him. Regional effects. The region containing a legendary silver dragon's lair is warped by the dragon's magic, which creates one or more of the following effects. Once per day, the dragon can alter the weather in a six-mile radius centered on its lair. The dragon doesn't need to be outdoors, otherwise the effect is identical to the control weather spell. The dragon doesn't need to be outdoors. Otherwise, the effect is identical to the control weather spell. That's what it says. It can alter the weather. Yep. That's a regional Mm -hmm. effect. (laughs) Yep. Within one mile of the lair, winds buoy non-evil creatures that fall due to no act of the dragons or its allies. Such creatures descend at a rate of 60 feet per round and take no falling damage. Damn. It's like auto slow fall. (laughs) Feather fall. Feather, feather fall. Feather fall, not slow fall. Feather fall. Given days or longer to work, the dragon can make clouds and fog within its lair as solid as stone, forming structures and other objects as it wishes. Well, that's freaking cool. It'd be cool if you could read. Yeah, it would be cool <laughs> if I would read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I'm just kidding. Read the last sentence. If the dragon dies, changed weather reverts to normal as described in the spell, and the other effects fade in 1d10 days. But if you were, like, in, like, a weird cloud castle, that would suck. Mm-hmm. It just becomes nothing. I mean, it would suck if the dragon died, because he was probably your friend. If you lived in his cloud castle, probably, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Oh, these these guys are very interesting given how social they are. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think we kind of picked this opposite of super evil dark dragon to this one. I um, I think it would be cliche to give them gray eyes if you made them into a humanoid. But I think 
that's probably what's going to happen. That's what I would do. Is they that's what I that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Right. So um, these creatures, I would say, in terms of encounters, there are they have. We haven't even read their stats yet. I was nope. about to ask if you wanted to cover the stat block first. Or but which you know. which stat block? Let's you would talk like about the adult. Adult or ancient? Go ahead and do the adult. I don't have a book on me, so y'all go ahead. All right. All right, Thomas, tell us. Read some more. Okay. You've done such a good job so far. That wow. is not what you said 30 <laughs> seconds ago. Wow. So wow, 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 wow. It's, I'm so tired. Uh-huh. I am too. <laughs> Uh, an adult silver dragon is a huge dragon, and he's lawful good. By comparison, the ancient is a gargantuan dragon. So, you Big know, boys. slightly smaller than gargantuan, he's huge. He's got an armor class of 19, natural armor, hit points of 18d12, plus 126. But just like base number it gives here is 243. A uh, speed of 40 feet and a flying speed of 80 feet. He's got a 27 to strength, a 10 to dex, a 25 to con, a 16 to intelligence, a 13 to wisdom, and a 21 to charisma. Not the wisest boy. But friendly, like a so, golden retriever. So strong and friendly. But not dexterous. I mean, not negative, but like, like zero. Because they're fucking big. Big yeah. boys. Alright, saving throws. Uh, Dex plus 5, a con plus 12, a wisdom plus 6, and a charisma plus 10. Um, skills, arcana plus 8, a history plus 8, a perception plus 11, and a stealth of plus 5. Uh, it's immune to cold damage. Tracks. Seems convenient. Um, he's got blind sight to 60 feet, dark vision to 120 feet, and a passive perception of 21. They speak common and draconic, and he is a challenge level, uh, challenge rating of 16. That's a beefy boy. So. But hopefully you don't have to fight one of these. If right. you're fighting them, you've done something wrong. That's I just, just the I, ancient one, too. Or that's the adult. No, one. that's the adult. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. The ancient is a challenge rating of 23. So he goes from 16 to 23. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it is like a change of what eight hundred years, right? Yeah, from from adult time. to ancient, so not too surprising. Um, he's got legendary resistance three times per day. If the dragon fails a saving throw, it can choose to succeed instead. So I, convenient. I want this power in my life. Right. Uh, actions. Multi-attack. The dragon can use its frightful presence. It then makes three attacks, one with its bite and two with its claws. Bite is a melee weapon attack, plus 13 to hit, a reach of 10 feet and one target. On a hit, it does 2d10 plus 8 piercing damage. The claw is a melee weapon attack, plus 13 to hit, a reach of 5 feet, one target, and it's a 2d6 plus 8 to slashing damage. And then the tail is also a melee weapon attack with a plus 13 to hit, a reach of 15 feet for one target, and on a hit it does 2d8 plus 8 bludgeoning damage. So, they have a, a 2d6, a 2d8, and a 2d10 attack. Yeah. So. 
The Frightful Presence. Each creature of the dragon's choice that is within 120 feet of the dragon and aware of it must succeed on a DC 18 wisdom saving throw or become frightened for one minute. A creature can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns, ending the effect on itself on a success. If a creature's saving throw is successful or the effect ends for it, the creature is immune to the dragon's Frightful Presence for the next 24 hours. Um, Be afraid. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. A breath weapon uh, recharges on a five or six. The dragon uses one of the following breath weapons. He has cold breath. The dragon exhales an icy blast in a 60-foot cone. Each creature in that area must make a DC 20 constitution saving throw, taking 13d8 cold damage on a failed save, or half of that on a successful save. He also has paralyzing breath. The dragon exhales paralyzing gas in a 60-foot cone. Each creature in that area must succeed on a DC 20 constitution saving throw or be paralyzed for a minute. A creature can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns, ending the effect on itself if on a success. Hmm. Did the other dragons have multiple breath weapons, or is it... Normally, no. They only have one. That's what I thought. Okay. And what's interesting is, oh, it can do ice or a gas. Like, Which kind of makes sense, because they're, like, friendly, and they may not want to hurt you, so this gives them a chance to be like, okay, chill yeah. for a second and fucking listen to me talk. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense that they have this, like, non-hurting breath weapon option. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's the whole intention behind it, is they're going to try to have a conversation versus trying to fight you first. Mm-hmm. Well, so I did just turn the page to the adult gold dragon and they have a fire breath and a weakening breath so it does appear like these other dragons metallic dragons the other metallic dragons may have two as adults yep now that Adult. i think about it i rarely use the good dragons so i've only really used the mean ones so maybe that's a problem as to why that I tracks that. yeah that yeah. tracks yep adult copper has acid breath and slowing breath that's fun because they're tricksters so that's fun that would be fun they could have like that scene from x-men uh first class where quicksilver's running around but he's doing dragon shit uh-huh that'd be fun mm. good times we like show up and he does it and then he goes hides all his shit i don't know right gives all him right. time to hide his shit from the party who's trying to rob him right yeah. right what's up guys yeah Jane shape the dragon magically polymorphs into a humanoid or beast that has a challenge rating no higher than its own or back into its true form. It reverts to its true form if it dies. Any equipment it is wearing or carrying is absorbed or borne by the new form, the dragon's choice. It, in a new form, the dragon retains its alignment, hit points, hit dice, ability to speak, proficiencies, legendary resistance... Layer actions and intelligence, wisdom, and charisma scores, as well as this action. Its statistics and capabilities are otherwise replaced by those of the new form, except any class features or legendary actions of that form. So, uh, the dragon can take three legendary actions, choosing from the options below. Only one legendary action option can be used at a time, and only at the end of another creature's turn. The dragon regains spent legendary actions at the start of its turn. It's got detect. The dragon makes a wisdom check, a perception check. So that's one of the actions. Uh, stealing stuff from its horde. Better be on the lookout. Uh, a tail attack. The dragon makes a tail attack. 
and then a wing attack, which costs two actions. The dragon beats its wings. Each creature within 10 feet of the dragon must succeed on a DC 21 dexterity saving throw or take 2d6 plus 8 bludgeoning damage and be knocked prone. The dragon can then fly up to half its flying speed. Hmm. It's interesting that the perception check is a legendary action. Isn't that normally like a free action? Perception checks technically count as an action. Oh, okay. That if you're in that. combat, right? Yeah. 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 Alright, that makes six sense. Alright, Zach, tell us how you would handle an encounter with one of these bad boys. Or set up an encounter. Or good boys. Yeah. He's a good boy. Yeah, he's a good boy. Don't don't be mean to the silver dragon. So I had two two thoughts was for a good party, it is they maybe encounter them while traveling and kind of collaborate with them for a bit. Uh, and I think it would be an interesting encounter with them to be, hey, um, oh, you guys look nice. Maybe they're a relative of one of their past encounters. But I think it would be interesting if the guy's like, yeah, have you seen my friend? I'm looking for so-and-so. And the entire party knows that it's a hero of the past who died ages ago and this dragon just hasn't seen his friends or paid attention in a while so that'd be kind of an interesting conversation starter i would use that as a non-combative encounter to have a conversation with them of just like hey you seem to know a lot of history and maybe they paid attention to it like there may be some like i would say they knew a lot of interesting things about like their close surroundings which will give like the party some insight into something that's going on uh, and then other than that, it would be that they weren't paying attention to that detail. Like, they clearly like stuff, but they're not that detail-oriented when it comes to everything. They're kind of more in-the-moment people. So they'll have a little history if they were personally involved, uh, which if the party's looking to know more information about the hero or whatever, like maybe they're trying to find their previously magic item that they just forgot that maybe the dragon kept and was cleaning or wow we really don't know where he went or where he's from that was lost to history but this guy's like oh i met him on this street back in this day his parents were there he must live in this old area and now you get to go raid his uh grave which you shouldn't do that but as an option the other one would be kind of more for an evil party which is to steal from the dragon um and it could be that you have to find like a like a dragon knows your intentions right so if you have evil relatives or whatever you can find good relatives maybe in your past like maybe you had a whole bloodline of clerics who were all good aligned and you're just like nah skip a generation i don't care and uh you're an asshole uh maybe you can get along with that or maybe you have to like kidnap someone who's relative interacted with this dragon or whatever and you have to convince them through force that if they don't help you get this item from the dragon they're gonna have to fight this dragon but they can't do it because maybe they're a little lower level than you know 16 or whatever the however level you need to be to fight that i don't have a encounter calculator but it would be interesting for them to one find somebody the dragon trusts to find something that um could help with like either getting the item or finding stuff to sneak in try to steal it from the dragon and be careful that's why it does have that perception check that dragon is going to be on the lookout if it suspects anything's weird uh and it will try to stall them at first and get rid of them with that uh breath attack uh the non-murder one but as soon as it senses something wrong it's a problem alternatively 
I think it would be interesting if the party is in a good party or evil. It depends where you're at. Uh, it seems like these guys are off on their own a lot. So if they're out and about and they're not paying attention and they're on an adventure somewhere doing their own shit, maybe you happen to find their loot. Like, you're at their preferred lair locations and you're just like, oh, this shit's free. And, like, they do an animal handling check, not animal handling, nature or some type of check and be like, oh, this dragon hasn't been here in a while. Free money. That's that's free real estate. Uh, and then they can take whatever <laughs> they want with it. Uh, as for the, like, evil party, I think it would be a, we have to do something to convince them to give it to us. Or the party has to ask the dragon for something in return. In terms of combat, I would say this dragon is going to try to paralyze people first and then deal with them without killing them. But I would also say if the party were to come across this dragon in human form, they'll do a lot of things to help them out. If they're lower level, maybe this is a quest giver who's kind of helpful in the very beginning of like, hey, you helped that innocent person. I saw you give them this money or I saw you do this. I've got a job for you. Uh, can you go uh, do this or whatever? And I think it would be hilarious if they're like, I need you to go find X location and bring back this item or whatever. I don't have time. And you, they actually send you to their lair to go pick something up. And if you're Snoopy, you might actually find all of the wealth that they have, but there's like a few items that are maybe like in a secret place. But you have to swear you're only going to take the one thing they asked for and you have to bring it back. And that's kind of how you can p- t- tip the party into good or bad behavior too. Where you have mm. a question of that. Is, Some manipulation hey, here. Yeah. I yeah. love quandaries of the heart. Ugh. So what hmm, What are the chances you have a good party, but you have somebody in that party that has a bad pass and this dragon remembers their bad pass and tries to take it out on them? I don't think the dragon would take it out on them. I think it would deny their help or it would not help them. And the party oh, would yeah. have to... Um, they don't seem vindictive. That's the mentality I get from the text of it, but they would definitely say, I don't trust you. You have a bad bloodline. I need you to correct that by proving you're worthy is an option. So that'd be Mm. another option to Mm. get a request. Um, the way I see this is this is a great way for the party to get a very powerful item. That is something relatively historic. Like somebody had a diary and they left a spell in it. And it just so happens this this silver dragon took it. Or maybe you need some jewelry off of the corpse of a dead king. And oops, their sarcophagus is inside this dragon's home. Again, British Museum vibes. But Uh still, uh, give that shit back, British Museum. It's not yours. You know what? I can't tell the difference between the actual artifact and a replica. Lie to me. I don't care. <laughs> Unless you're a dragon, I've specifically asked for a magic item to use on a very important quest. Don't give me the replica. Give me the real thing, please. Yeah, 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 yeah. Seems like dual standards there. A little bit, yeah. Little don't bit. be the never be the British Museum though. That's <laughs> magic of, does care if it's a replica. I don't yes. care, but magic cares. Yeah, and there's no magic, so do. Today we are covering. The Will of the Talon, another dragon-related item. I just realized I never said what page that dragon was on. Or did you say what page that dragon was on? Oh, we didn't. Okay, the dragon was on... Monster Manual. The Monster Manual. Page 117. uh, Covers the silver dragon. If you want to know where the metallic dragon flavor text is, that's on page 103 of the Monster Manual. Yeah. I'm so proud yeah. of you guys. You got Monster Manual right off the bat. He did. 
the item we're covering is in the Explorer's Guide to Wild Mounts, page 279. So, this is the Will of the Talon. It is a weapon. It is a war pick um, artifact that requires attunement. Blue, black, green, red, and white gems carved in the form of dragon heads cover this ostentatious gold war pick. Marking it as a weapon channeling the power of Tiamat. Mm, that's the evil one. That's Opposite the evil end of the bitch. spectrum. <laughs> uh, hence the colored globes. Yes, it's yep. all the it's all the chromatic dragons. Mm-hmm. Uh, sentience. Will of the Talon is a sentient, lawful, evil weapon with an intelligence of fourteen, wisdom of fifteen, charisma of nineteen. It has hearing mm. and dark vision out to a. Tr- Range of 120 feet. This weapon has higher stats than I do. I was going to say, I know quite a few <laughs> playing characters that didn't have that kind of wisdom oh, or no. visibility. My current character has a negative, or no, a zero wisdom. It's it's bad. It's ten. Uh, the weapon communicates telepathically with its wielder and can speak, read, and understand common, draconic, and infernal. Personality. A short-tempered bone devil named Ashtirlon. Ashtirlon. We're going to say Ashtirlon. Ashtirlon. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Lives within the will of the Talon. The weapon is greedy and values strong leadership. It demands that its wielder take decisive action to keep order in high-pressure situations and to always take a fair share of treasure in return. Adrian cannot wield this weapon. No. Decisive. Ain't got it. No. <laughs> Not great at being bossy. Thank God. <laughs> dormant. The war pick grants the following benefits in its dormant state. You can speak, read, and write Draconic and Infernal. You gain a plus one bonus to attack and damage rolls made with this magic weapon. As a bonus action while holding the war pick, you can cause the following effect. Each creature of your choice that is within 30 feet and is aware of you must succeed on a DC 13 wisdom saving throw or become frightened for one minute. Um, You can, you know, repeat your throw to not be frightened. We just covered frightful presence. Um, While holding the war pick, you can use your action to exhale destructive energy. Pick a damage type from the Wheel of the Talon Breath Weapons table. Each creature... In the area of the exhalation, must make a DC 13 saving throw, the type of which is specified on the table. The creature takes 3d6 damage on a failed save and half as much on a successful one. So these are basically the breath weapons. You can do acid in a 5 foot wide, 30 foot line for with a dexterity saving throw. Cold in a 15 foot cone, which is a constitution saving throw. Fire in a 15... And poison in a 15-foot cone, still constitution. No. Fire in a 15-foot cone, that's dexterity. Poison in a 15-foot cone with a constitution save. And lightning in a 5-foot wide, 30-foot long line for dexterity. So it's kind of just all the breath weapons, I think. And whatever their area of effect is. And I guess I had to... I put this in the Google going, what in the world is a war pick? And like... It's what, a pick and a hammer. Right. It's basically like a hammer with 
a lot of them, most of them have like a flat hammer head on one side, and then as this one is named as the talon, the opposite side from the flat hammer bit looks a lot like a talon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For a lot of these. So. Yeah, I imagine them as like Warhammer on one side, pickaxe on the other side. Yep. Exactly. I saw a Cooper. Uh, when you use the war pick to unleash a breath weapon of a specific damage type, you can't choose that same damage type again until the next dawn. So you get one use of each. Per day. Yeah. So those are all the things you get when it's dormant. When it's awakened, you get even more shit. Damn. Um, the bonus, the weapon's bonus to attack and damage rolls increases to plus two. So try tonight. <laughs> the saving throw DC for the Warpix breath weapon increases to fifteen from what was it before thirteen, and it now deals four d six damage on a failed save and half as much on a successful one. The saving throw for the frightful presence increases to fifteen. And while carrying the weapon, you now have resistance to acid, cold, fire, lightning, and poison damage. Nice. In the exalted stage, when the war pick reaches an exalted state, it gains the following properties. You now have plus three to attack and damage rolls. And the saving throws are now 17. So it has it has dormant, awake, and exalted. Yes, and I... Is this like a wild mount specific thing, or is this a weapons thing, Zach? Do you know? Um, that sounds like it is a uh, godly weapon that is something specific to the Critical Role universe. Uh, they yeah. are called Vestiges of Divergence, and I'm thinking that might be a god-tier weapon? I They're could be wrong. They're calling them artifacts. All right, so artifacts is the other one. Arms of the betrayers. Yeah, those are vestiges of divergence. Then. Okay. Cool. Essentially. Want to learn more about that? Look into some critical role lore. Because I'm not going to read all this tonight. It's lore. (laughs) I just the weapon gets more and more sentient, and it gets more and more better. We need to put out a couple episodes of a of a. Be, uh, not what what's the word a ASMR episode where we just read the full description, word for word, in our nice soothing reading. Preferably voices. without messing up. That's really a difficult for me. Um, editing, but yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes. You edit it then. Do you want to be perfect? Oh yeah, no, no, no. I'm just gonna read for you. It's just gonna. Re- you're just gonna read for me. That's great. That's great. Yeah. All right. Do we have any questions for the DMs? No. (laughs) (laughs) She thought about it. She thought about it for. I I asked the thing about the weapons getting exalted, and that was my question for the DM. Yeah. So those are generally (laughs) based off of critical roles lore, also based off the DM's preference. So Matt Mercer has like specific things that require them to be done. So whether there is something specifically written on the text for some of the items, or mm-hmm. it is something that is like, one, you have to be this level, two, you have to do something related to that deity, whether that is profess your love or whatever to him, like something specific. So it's very much a a way to do quest giving is an option for those mm-hmm. items. They're very powerful. It could be you stumble across it at an early level and it's just the dormant, and then as you move up, it goes up in level with you, and it kind mm-hmm. of unlocks when you reach specific kind of i don't want to say quest markers but more like um 
not XP, what do you do? Milestones. When you hit yeah. specific mm-hmm. milestones in the game, whether that's plot related or level related is how you move those up. It's a great way to scale weapons. Um, I, while those are an option, um, there's one of the things I like doing is if a player really likes a weapon, like let's say, for example, there's uh, like you have a character who's got a really well-defined, like this is my aesthetic. This is what I look like. This is the color of things that I wear. These are what my clothes look like. Here's my sword. It's custom made. I spent a little extra money to do it. You could, or they find a weapon that matches that aesthetic because you're a nice DM and you give them something like that. But let's <laughs> say they hit level 10 and that weapon's a plus one. Now it's a little behind and they have other equipment they can use. It's possible that you as the DM could find ways to improve those weapons or introduce the party to somebody who's willing to improve them for them and make better adjustments to them to step them up levels uh, Mm -hmm. to something else. Uh, It's kind of a weapon progression for something you can get. Uh, It's pretty handy. Uh, It's also Mm -hmm. a good way to keep the players happy if you want that. What's up? So in that same vein of like, oh yeah, powering up these weapons, do you ever... I, I think about this with games where they have like two approaches with weapons where oh using this weapon breaks it down and it's gonna break eventually or you use this weapon and then you invest it or put money or time into it or whatever and actually the weapon gets stronger as you use it right like there's two different approaches there i'm wondering how you um if you have a preferred method or if there's just a very much uh protracted method for doing that um i so there's a lot of assumptions in D D where you just kind of say like uh essentially you can go and say like hey i'm working on or excuse me when it comes to like durability of an item there are some mm-hmm. rules for that in xanathar's guide uh that will go through like hey your weapon has an ac it has an hp you have to use smith tools to fix it up you also have to like maintain it like you have wizards who prepare their spells in the morning or druids who do that as well and then you might have fighters who are polishing their weapons or sharpening their weapons and doing all these things there are some upkeep to those whether you choose to role play those or hand wave them is completely up to your table um i will say if you are the only player who wants to do that um you're gonna lose that argument probably it's really boring for everyone else it is um so yeah keep that in mind uh and just like yeah i did that and maybe just text the dm a message or just say hey like i do my ritual in the morning or whatever and just describe what that ritual is uh Mm -hmm. to the dm at least at one point so with that in mind the when it comes to like progression of an item you can always kind of one magic items are at the dm's discretion as well as the players and it could just be like hey i want this to happen at these levels you Mm kind of have that conversation of yeah this is good enough or no however you can make those ties of like hey this gets stronger the like more you kill with it right like maybe Mm -hmm. there's a weapon that feeds on blood or whatever and that weapon becomes stronger as you use it or it gets bigger and lighter as you use it when it feeds on blood uh so like a vampiric blade i think there was a reference to that um critical role of course is always a good reference to this one uh there is an evil sword uh it is an uh, an enchanted evil sword that is also um possessed i mean sentient excuse me uh that mm-hmm. feeds on blood and it was held by an evil vampire and then it's given to the dumb dumb grog who's like "Ooh, i'm not giving this up it's cursed and it constantly wants blood uh so 
it starts with a K, I want to say. I cannot, for the life of me, remember the name of that sword. It's been years since campaign one. But uh, with that in mind, That's there's... Fun. I haven't gotten to that part yet. Kill it, killer oh. sword. Oh, there's a lovely conversation in a bathroom. You're going to have a great time. I'm so uh, excited. Yeah, so with, with that, there's there's ways to progress it up as a DM and as a player. And you yeah, just kind of want to... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, that's really fun because I think, like, it wouldn't be unusual for a martial character to have a sentimental attachment to their weapon. Like, oh, this was my father's sword or this was gifted to me from my mentor or whatever. And so in that situation, you don't want to be stuck with a, you know, zero, you know, just a plain ass non-magical sword that you get when you start out as a level three character. And so that gives it a nice way to sort of level it up, but not, you know, you're not giving up that weapon that has sentimental meaning. How can yeah. first real sword? Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Compared right to, now. like, my character who just keeps finding weapons on the ground or from people we kill. And so I've just got, like, a little armory on my back of just whatever I feel like wielding that day. <laughs> yeah, that's great as a martial character. You can swap whatever you want, but it never hurts and i recommend this to martial characters because you have like a lot of barbarian or a lot of the human barbarians or whatever goliath barbarians are like your basic class that a lot of people start with because it's it's not that difficult of a class if you're like i just want to hit stuff right Mm -hmm. but having a backstory of like yeah the axe i use is from my relatives who trained me or however they did or whatever have a little lore around your weapon if you're going to be attached to it and that also goes to the dm who made that weapon if they're making a weapon and it's like it's finely made and it has magic on it and there's a history to it, it never hurts to do this. I know this is going to sound bad going back to the museums again, but a lot of the things that they go through have what's called provenance. And that is where they try to trace how many people have owned it. Who's, how, many, how long did it take for it to get to your hands? How old is it? What was it initially used for? Like if it's an item of clothing, how often was it worn? Type stuff like that. The more information they have about an object, the more important it is. And that also adds to the lore of your world. Um, mm-hmm. It's also important to make sure that it wasn't stolen. Museums. So... <laughs> uh, Today, this episode should just be... Sorry, this episode should just be shitting on museums. (laughs) Shitting on shitty museums is what it should be. There are some... in a museum! Yeah, there's some good ones, but there's also some bad ones, so... Right. Yeah. Uh, Oh, man, a lot of this... I... I... I don't remember how many episodes ago it was, but I my recommendation was uh, the Will White series, The Elder Scroll... Or The Elder Empire... Um, and I am like on the, I'm on the, it's the one that, uh, the currently there's three installments for it, but each installment has a book for a different, has a book for two different characters. So there's six books, but there's three installments right now. We have now entered Thomas's recommendation corner with a a duplicate. Yeah, it's a duplicate, but I'm also on the third, I'm on the third book and the second, um, person so like i've i'm i'm reading the last one that there is currently to read and i can highly recommend it now (laughs) now that i've actually read it and wasn't just starting on it like i was when we first gave the recommendation um but all this talking about like weapons getting better over time the the magic one of the main magic systems in that book in that series is intent so as you use an item it 
you put your intent into it and it gets better at doing the things that you use it for over time. And so like, um, and then there's certain people within the world called readers that can read the intent in items. And so they like, you can come across something that's like ancient and like, oh, I can feel this owner and this owner and this owner of it and, and what it was used for and, and all that sort of stuff. And it's just, I, I think it's a fascinating way of, of doing that. Exactly. Yeah, you can, and you can use that system if you want to. The more you use it, the more intent you're putting into it. You have to establish that system, though, and the rules of it. If you're oh, definitely, it. definitely. Yeah. Um, it's a great but, idea. I and like and it. then there's you know eldritch horrors, elders, and you know those are just fun, right? People making deals with them when maybe they should or shouldn't, and <laughs> all that um, good stuff. I mean, should you ever make a deal with an Eldritch Horror? I mean, if another one is going to kill you, maybe. Make a deal I with a different one. guess that's an even game. Maybe. Maybe. All right. Well, with that, we've had our recommendations. We've had just the tips. We've talked about a monster. We've talked about encounters to build with your party. Uh, at this point, is there anything else? Like, I don't know, maybe our social medias? Hit us with those. Adrian? We have an Instagram. It's at Sweet Tea and D&D. How long ago has it been since you posted? Like December, at least. Yeah. Woo! This, she's going to share it's, this episode. It's No one engages with me and it gets boring. So. Talk to us. We're bored. Talk to me. or If you talk to me, I'll use it more. Uh, Twitter's dead. Don't go to Twitter. Both for the podcast and also it was down all Monday because someone broke it. One dude broke it. Ooh. That's what happens when you fire all your staff. Yeah, sorry, Elon, but I'm not sorry. You're a piece of shit. Uh, and uh, yeah, <laughs> talking check. all sorts of. Zach is here to talk smack. I'm shitting tonight. on museums and Elon Musk. Let's go. It's, it, it, it's, it's feeling feisty. Zach's birthday smackdown. Yeah. All right. Check us out on those. Thanks for listening. Uh, say bye. 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 bye.